Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I'm your host, Isaac Longworth. Today's saint is actually the very first person who was killed for professing his faith in Jesus. So he's the first Christian martyr. He's mentioned in the Bible. That's where we learn most about his life. And he was ordained a deacon by the apostles themselves. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about St. Stephen. Now, St. Stephen is an, an awesome saint. We're going to look at his life. But also, since he's the very first Christian who was killed for his faith, we're going to talk about martyrdom. We're going to talk about how all of us as Christians need to be able to imitate Stephen in being ready, being prepared to give up even our physical lives for the sake of knowing Jesus, just like he did. But we're first introduced to the character of Stephen in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts happens after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and the young church, the early church, is beginning to grow and spread throughout the known world. Now, in the early church, there was a controversy that had erupted, and that is where we first encounter Stephen. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we hear about this controversy that was boiling in the early church. It says, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now you hear this reading, and you're thinking to yourself, Isaac, what is going on? Who are the Hellenists? Who are the Hebrews? What's going on with the widows? And where's St. Stephen? Well, let me explain. In the time of the early church, widows were some of the poorest people in society because in the patriarchal society that they lived in, women relied on their husbands and their children for sustenance, to bring in money, to bring in food. And so if a woman's husband died, and she didn't have adult children to take care of her, she was basically destitute. And so the early church was taking care of the widows. They were taking care of the poor in daily distribution of food and resources. But the problem is, is that there was two different kinds of Jews who were living in that area. There was the Hebrews, and these were Jews who lived in Jerusalem. They spoke Aramaic. They were kind of uh, the local Jews who hadn't been dispersed Whereas the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and they had been, in the, in the time of the, of the Jewish diaspora, they had been dispersed across the known world. They had gone to Egypt and Rome and Greece and all these different places, and they all spoke Greek. Now, both of these groups were Jews, but sometimes they didn't get along with each other so well. And then when the early church, which was originally a Jewish movement, a lot of the early Christians were Jewish converts, began to distribute food to the poor, some of those tensions continued. And so uh, the Hebrew converts weren't giving as much food to the Greek-speaking Jews and their widows, and so there was this debate happening. And so at first the apostles tried to take care of it themselves, all the 12 apostles, but they realized that they were being pulled in too many directions. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, it says the 12, who are the apostles, summoned the body of the disciples. So they called kind of a council of all the Christians, and this is what they told them. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve at tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, 
whom we may appoint to this duty. And so the apostles are saying, look, we have to keep preaching. We have to keep setting up local churches. We have to keep evangelizing. We have to catechize these new converts and train them up in the ways of Christianity. We don't have enough energy to ensure that the poor, the widows, are being fairly treated. And so they're saying, call forward seven men who we will ordain for this work. And these seven men would be the first deacons. And this idea was pleasing to everyone. And this is where it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and they choose six other men with him. And these are set before the apostles, and the apostles pray and lay their hands upon them. They ordain them as deacons, and Stephen is one of them. And they begin ministering to the poor. Now, we can already learn a couple things about Stephen from this very short passage. One, Stephen is a Greek name. And so Stephen was probably one of the Hellenistic Jews, one of the Jews who spoke Greek, who had converted to Christianity, which is why it makes sense that he was chosen to help in the distribution of food to the Hellenistic widows. We also know that he was a man of good repute because the people had selected him and brought him to the apostles, meaning that they probably knew that Stephen already had a real heart for the poor, that he was recognized as someone who could go about this ministry, that he had a love for people, and that he was wise enough, that he had a good head on his shoulders so that he could navigate all the controversy that he was wading into, that he would be able to settle some of the disputes that were happening between the Hebrew converts and the Greek-speaking converts. Stephen as we learn from this passage, was also full of the Spirit. In fact, as we continue to read about St. Stephen in the book of Acts, we'll see that he is constantly being described as full of the Spirit. So Stephen had had his own Pentecost experience. He had been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's possible that Stephen could have been in the upper room at the first Pentecost with the apostles, uh, with the other disciples that had gathered. We don't know that for sure, but we do know for sure that he moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. That Stephen was using the gifts that God had given him to build up the church. Gifts of service, gifts of wisdom, and all these other things that were necessary to take care of the poor. But Stephen also was so full of the Holy Spirit that he was able to do miracles through the power of God. Because in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So St. Stephen wasn't just taking care of the poor, he was also evangelizing. He was sharing the gospel wherever he went. And as he was sharing the gospel, he was working these signs and wonders, these miracles, to show the supernatural evidence for the power of the gospel of Jesus that he was proclaiming. Because in the time of the early church, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, was to live a supernatural life. The early Christians had this understanding that because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, God himself lived inside of them and he would act through them. This was normal for the Christian life. And this is something that sometimes we forget. We forget who lives inside of us. The power of God who is able to do miracles 
lives inside of us. But Stephen hadn't forgotten. So full of the Holy Spirit, he was probably doing healings and other miraculous works that are all over the Acts of the Apostles, all over the life of the early church in the New Testament. Now, Stephen would go to his fellow Jews and he would debate with them about the truth of Christianity. So he would serve the poor, uh, he would pray for healing and see healings and miracles happen, and then when the poor loved him, when the people who had been healed came to him, he would preach to them the power of the gospel of Jesus to bring them to salvation, that Jesus was the way into heaven, that Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised to his people. And he was so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of boldness, that he would actually go to the synagogues and preach about Jesus there. He would speak with the power of the Holy Spirit and the fact that he was bold. He would go courageously to an audience that was possibly pretty hostile at first to hearing about Jesus. But he would also speak in the power of the Holy Spirit in the sense that his words were truthful. There was a logic and a clearness to Stephen's preaching that impressed the people. They couldn't debate with him without realizing that this Jesus who he was proclaiming was indeed the Messiah that had been promised to the chosen people of Israel and that Jesus himself was the Son of God who had come to save them. But unfortunately, Stephen's preaching angered too many Jewish authorities who weren't happy that he was telling them that they needed to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And so he is eventually brought before the Jewish council of their authorities, and he's on trial for supposedly speaking blasphemy against God and Moses. And so some false witnesses had come, they had lied about him, and they were insinuating that because he was preaching Jesus, that he was forcing the Jewish people of the time to change their customs. He was telling them that they needed to repent and believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And so this angered some of the Jews. They brought him into trial. And while he was in trial, while he was standing there being tried by this court, witnesses at his trial said that his face was like the face of an angel. That's what we read in Acts chapter 6, verse 15. Now, we don't know exactly what this means. Perhaps his face was uh, had some kind of supernatural glow or shine around him. Perhaps his face was just so peaceful despite uh, the traumatic situation that he was in, this stressful situation of being on trial for blasphemy, which was, uh, if he was convicted, would be the death penalty. So he should be stressed, but maybe he was just having a very peaceful face that amazed the audience. We don't know, but we do know that witnesses said his face was like the face of an angel. And while he's in front of this court, Stephen boldly confronts his own people to their faces. We have this spirited account of what he said in Acts chapter 7, verse 51 and onward. And he says, you stiff-necked people, you are uncircumcised in your heart and your ears, and you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. So Stephen is, is boldly proclaiming that the people who has rejected Jesus are acting as the early fathers did when they rejected the prophets. Stephen goes on to say, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the righteous one being Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Jesus is the Messiah. He was sent to his people, but by and large, he was rejected, betrayed, and killed by them. And so Stephen is, is preaching on this, he's teaching on this, and he is holding them to account. He's saying all of us are guilty for killing Jesus. Everyone who has sinned, whether they're Jew, whether they're not a Jew, all of humankind has sinned against God. And as a result, we bear the guilt for the murder of Jesus. But he's saying there's hope. We can turn to Jesus and be saved. We can, we can receive forgiveness. And he's preaching this to them, but they do not appreciate the comparison that he is making between their rejection and murder of Jesus to their Jewish ancestors who had rejected and murdered the prophets that God had sent to them. They're enraged by this. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 7, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth against him. So they're grinding their teeth in their anger. They're just so enraged at him. But it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So while the whole council is is seething with rage at him, Stephen is standing there again, completely at peace. And he has this vision of heaven opening up, Jesus standing there, because Jesus is waiting to welcome him home. Perhaps Stephen is given this vision uh, as this final grace to strengthen him for the horrible death that is coming to him because the Jewish authorities at the council, they cried out with a loud voice and it says they stopped their ears. They plugged their ears so they couldn't hear his preaching anymore. They hated the truth so much they covered their ears and they rushed together upon him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, stoning is a particularly brutal death. And they came upon Stephen, they, they rushed him out of the city, they threw him out of the city and they began to stone him. What stoning would look like is people would literally gather around the person who had been condemned to death and they would pick up stones and they would throw them at the person, hitting him all over his body until he died from blunt trauma. It was a horrible way to die. Uh, bones would be broken. Teeth would be knocked out. Uh, the person would receive concussions um, and interior bleeding until eventually the person would pass out and die either from loss of blood or, or from blunt trauma. And this is what they did to Stephen. But as they were doing this, this is the most beautiful part. As they were stoning Stephen, he began to pray. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In his dying moments, in his dying breath, he's offering up his life as a witness to Jesus. He's saying, this is for you. This brutal death that I'm experiencing, I'm giving it to you, Jesus, so that I can enter into your kingdom. But then Stephen also cries out with a loud voice and says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In his last moments, Stephen is imitating Jesus in praying for his murders. Stephen loves his people. He doesn't want them to suffer for the sin of murder against him. And so he forgives them and he prays for them that they too would come to conversion. And we, we don't know if anyone in the crowd was 
impacted by this. But it's very possible that those who were listening, as Stephen prayed for their forgiveness, even as they threw stones at him and killed him, that maybe later they too became Christians. We'll never know. But Stephen was killed, and he was the very first martyr. And in Greek, the word martyr means witness, someone who witnessed by their very lives to the gospel. Because when Stephen laid down his life and was killed, rather than denying that Jesus was the Son of God, even in the face of hatred and animosity from his own people, Stephen was saying that by the fact that he was laying down his life, he was living for something more. He was living for heaven. That this world isn't all that there is, but that we as Christians live for something greater beyond this world. And the early Christians were prepared for this possibility of persecution from the moment of their conversion. In fact, Stephen's murder starts the wave of persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem and the Christians are driven out all over the region. And this has the accidental effect that their enemies didn't intend, but they spread the gospel wherever they go. So as they're chased out of Jerusalem, they bring the gospel of Jesus elsewhere. And so this is one of the, the maxims of the Christian life, that the more people persecute the church, the more the church grows. There's this line from the early church fathers that says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we see this happening in Stephen's cases. Stephen's death prompts this persecution of Christians. The church continues to grow throughout the Middle East and the rest of the known world, the rest of the Roman Empire. But in our modern times, we might have lost this sense of the link between accepting Jesus and signing ourselves up for persecution. In the early church, they understood that to become a Christian was to die to this world, possibly literally, because they were hated by the world that hated Jesus. And Jesus had warned them about this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, Jesus said to his disciples, they will deliver you up to persecution. They will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus is saying, look what they did to me. If they persecuted me, the master, they will persecute you, the servants. And we as Christians who bear the name of Jesus suffer for the sake of the faith. This is part of who we are as Christians. It's part of our identity to be hated and persecuted by the world that we live in that is often so antithetical to Christ. And martyrs continue to suffer for the sake of Jesus all over the world, even to our modern day. In fact, people believe that in the 20th century, there was more martyrs in that century than there was in all of the church life put together. Christians are routinely attacked all over the world. In North Korea and China, Christians are imprisoned and tortured and killed by the atheistic governments who want to stamp out all of the faith in their countries. In India, Hindu mobs go and burn churches, burning pastors and people inside their own churches. They attack Christians and kill those who convert. Throughout the Middle East and Africa, Muslim radicals have enslaved Christians and sold them as slaves. They kill those who convert to Christianity, even their own family members. And this is happening all over the world. Now here in the West where I live, we're not yet facing the death penalty for our faith in Jesus. In fact, uh, it's legal to be Christian. It's legal to celebrate our faith. But it is becoming increasingly difficult 
to live as a Christian in our secularizing culture. There is this constant pressure to abandon our faith in Jesus and to just go along with what the rest of the world believes, even if it is contradictory to our faith. And we need to guard ourselves against this, and we need to ready ourselves for possibly heavier persecution in the future. It is very possible in the near future that Christians could begin to suffer the loss of jobs. They could uh, lose their reputation if they refuse to back down from their faith. I believe that other pressures might be used very soon against Christians to get them to deny Jesus, even here in the West. And we need to be ready for this. Regardless of whether or not it happens, if and when, we need to be ready. We need to count the cost of following Jesus, recognizing that we do not live for this world, we live for the next. The life and death of St. Stephen is a good reminder for all of us, no matter where we live in the world, that we live for heaven, that that's our true homeland, not here. We are citizens of heaven, not of this world. When we became a Christian, we transferred ourselves out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. But there's a war going on, and the kingdom of darkness hates the kingdom of God. And so sometimes as Christians, that means that we need to suffer. And persecution is painful. No one looks forward to it. I don't want a persecution to happen on the church, but it is the norm for Christian living. This is what we need to be constantly prepared for. We need to honestly evaluate the reality of the situation we find ourselves in and count the cost of what we're getting ourselves into by following our faith. Not having this, this rosy idea that once we follow Jesus, all of our problems will stop. But actually, following Jesus could lead to more problems in your life as people uh, mock or reject you, even your friends and family for staying true to your faith. But the end goal of heaven is worth any pain that we suffer here on earth. So I exhort you, are we ready today to give our lives for Jesus? Like St. Stephen, are we willing to say, Jesus, you are worth it? You're worth every suffering I could endure in this lifetime. Heaven, the joys of heaven for all eternity, is worth it. It's worth the suffering. It's worth even death for the sake of becoming a saint. So let's go for it. Let's go for it. Whether we're called to be actual martyrs, whether we're called to actually be tortured and killed for our faith or not, all of us are called to witness to Jesus no matter the cost. And so let's pray for that grace today as we turn to St. Stephen for intercession as we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Stephen, we thank you so much for your witness, for your love of, of the poor. St. Stephen, we ask that like you, we would have a heart for those who are marginalized, the poor in society. Help us, as you did, to evangelize our peers, our people, our friends around us, just like you did with courage and boldness and yet with charity, kindness, and deep love. St. Stephen, you were the very first martyr. You showed by your life that you were willing to suffer and even die for Jesus. Through your intercession, we ask that we would receive this grace of courage, this grace to lay down our lives in whatever is called of us for the sake of knowing Jesus. St. Stephen, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.